A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. You're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. It's Monday of Christmas week. Season's greetings, Ken. Season's greetings, Murph. Uh, happy Christmas, Owen. Happy Christmas, Owen. I decided to get into the true festive spirit. By handing over obscene amounts of cash to purchase frivolous toys for various Mm. little nieces and cousins who are too young to actually understand what they are. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) I I always have this this moral dilemma. Mm -hmm. You know, should I be spending this much money on it? On the other hand, I've thought I can see this is a good gift. I, I could say it's too much money or I could, and that would then necessitate me having to look for something else. Yeah. So basically, the trade-off in my head is, is the difference in cash between what I'm spending and what I was planning to spend, is that as much of a pain in the arse to me as having to go look for something else? And having to go into these toy shops at Christmas, it's not easy. I went straight for the Disney store and grabbed everything there, Disney shop and grabbed the street. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've given them quite a few quid over the years. I'll tell you one thing. I didn't expect a peaceful shopping experience, but holy shit. I mean, the latest Star Wars movie is a lot to answer for. What's happening? See, it's a Disney production these days. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Well, kids weren't the problem. I mean, you, you walk into a toy shop at Christmas, you do expect pandemonium, but literally just men in their 40s swishing lightsabers around the place, practically taking my head off, while explaining to their not very interested sons and daughters, Star Wars was the big movie when I was your age, guys. Oh, and they're like, I don't, I don't care. I just, I mean, this lightsaber thing was cool, whatever it is. Just get me one of them. Shut up and get me one of these lightsabers, Dad. <laughs> I don't care how much you enjoyed it when you were a kid. I want to enjoy I was asked, actually, at one stage on the way out by a very... I would say, enthusiastic member of staff. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are very enthusiastic. Border and overeager. They're wearing well. her Star Wars t-shirt, but that's, you know, that's what they're there for to help you out. Are you enjoying your shopping experience? I was on the way out, so clearly wasn't enjoying it enough to stick around much longer. Mm. And I, yes, I am. I bravely lied again. Yeah. Well, you should stick around a few minutes. Why is that, I ask? Well, at 11 o'clock, we have some live in-store Jedi training. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Did I, you stick around? No, I left. I ran. I ran at that stage. I can't believe that you didn't... Open your mind. It, by the way, it was about 10 to 11. It wasn't as though it was a minute to 11. So I would have had 10 more minutes of walking around avoiding lightsabers. Uh, I think you to, made the right decision. To see there, the Jedi right? training there. I would like to have seen it. I wonder do they do it every day. Oh, yeah. You'd say you definitely get it between now and Christmas. Yeah. Just be careful. Are you going to go and see the Star Wars movie? Um, it's done pretty well. A few people have gone to see it over the weekend by the sounds of the box office takings. I might as well go and see it. Not big into it? Um, well, people are saying it's quite good. Mm. Um, which came as something of a surprise, I have to say, given that the last three were so terrible. Well, they seem to have overhauled the whole... Well, I'm not, we, shouldn't, we probably shouldn't talk too much about a movie we haven't seen yet. No. Uh, ah, no. they made 570 million US dollars. We can say whatever the hell we <laughs> like about Terror <laughs> Wars. Yeah. I, think, I think I will. You're going to go and see it? Uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely Star am. Star Wars fan as a child? Well, I loved the, the first three movies. The fifth one was so bad that I didn't watch the sixth one. The, the, whatever it was, the... Attack of the Clones. That one was so bad. I, you know, it's one of those situations where if I'd watched it by myself, I might have been able to forgive many of the glaring 
uh, oh, just awfulness of it. Uh, but I watched it with a group of people who were like very blasé about Star Wars, and I would have really liked the first three, the, yeah. the first three movies. And uh, after about twenty minutes, you know, it, the the game began of pointing out the really egregiously ridiculous, stupid dialogue bits of dialogue in the movie. And to be to be honest, you, I, I kind of resented it for the first fifteen minutes, and afterwards, like actually, they're all completely right. This movie is mm-hmm. terrible. But uh, I will go, and uh, I have actually bought some Star Wars merchandise for my uh, oh. for my nephews. What did you buy? I don't think Barry listens to it, uh, listens to the podcast, so I'm free to tell you that I bought him a Chewbacca onesie. <laughs> uh, Does it have a head on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he is, you, you zip up the onesie, and then there's like a hood that comes over yeah. that, you know, pretty much, it co- it covers a lot of the face. You look out through his mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I have to say, if, yeah. if it was, if there was a grown-up one, well, you know, like men, play, grown men uh, playing with lightsabers, no. But Chewbacca onesies for the larger gentleman, that's a horse of a different colour on. You obviously just went for the grown-up um, stormtrooper mask in the end. Yeah. Or helmet. Oh, yeah. No, no, the full gear, the full the full whack. I actually was looking for a, a Chewbacca onesie there at Halloween. It was something to do with the television show, not for personal use. 379 US dollars <laughs> plus shipping. So I... Never you hung probably, tight, yeah. yeah. While it might be going for a little far to actually buy one of these items for as a gift for a grown, you can definitely appeal to the nostalgic side of your loved one by picking up a copy of Murph. The second, second Captain Sports, Sports Annual Volume, volume 1. one. Yeah, okay, yeah, we sorry. delivered another batch into the shop, so it should be there for you. <laughs> waiting for you over the next few days. Hopefully a more peaceful experience than what I've had in the last couple of days. There no, it's fine. It'll be fine now. You go, you go into uh, your regional uh, shopping centre now, it'll be absolutely fine. Everyone's already done their Christmas shopping. Right? <laughs> Definitely, that's the way it works. I'll tell you one man who's not feeling very festive at the moment. His days are numbered, and seriously, you can't give him any more money. He seriously, he has to get off his fat Dutch pancake ass. Get out of this club or start earning your keep. Yeah, Andy Tate there. Mm, you Did, can hear the crowd there, mm. the appreciative audience. Um, he's, I think that's the most worrying thing about all this. There, is, there are crowds gathering to listen to Andy Tate's. Oh, yeah. Well, have you seen his, his... He's doing, you know, Conor McGregor numbers on YouTube. You know, no one... <laughs> his rise is irresistible. It's just the race to the bottom. He's leading. <laughs> he's he's way out in front. But you heard the crowd there uh, positively reinforcing his, his most outrageous comment. Uh, and the, and you, could, you could actually see then the thoughts kind of... He's like, mm, they like that, you know? And so his style is constantly being molded. Uh, it's a it's a feedback effect with the crowd. Do you honestly think that Andy Tate needs to, like that? The, first of all, he thinks that he's a, a pundit that whose views people really respect, yeah. and that he's surprised well, every he time he says something stupid. That's the thing that gets the most reaction. I think that Andy Tate has at least that level of self knowledge. Well, it's, that, it's yeah. you know if you reference something like a pancake arse that's obviously going to have a lot more impact on people than your thoughts on Phil Jones is defending literally doesn't even make any sense I mean where did pancake come from I think it came from the fact that fat rhymes with flat which is what a pancake is like I literally think that's that's how the brain produced those words <laughs> in that order and imagine like this guy's Van Hal's leading critic now imagine he was your leading critic well him and Skulls I'd, I think he's he's creating more buzz than Paul Scholes, to be honest. Uh, you know, he, he and he's been doing this for a while. Scholes has only sort of poked his head above the parapet in recent times. I'd like to see them speak together. Scholes, he's saying, well, I agree with Scholes Andy here. How long can it be before Fletch and Saf bring Andy Tate, Paul Scholes and Rio Ferdinand yes, together? It's a Christmas special. Three wise men of Old Trafford. <laughs> I mean, this is just, you know, literally, Louis van Gaal must be thinking, what has happened to my life? What has happened? I mean, gigs, obviously... You know, is isn't sitting there next to me anymore. Uh, people are briefing one thing. Uh, you tell them, tell the journalist I'm a genius one week, and then a couple of weeks later, so I've got two games to save my job. And the crowd flocks to hear the words of a man. <laughs> the crowd. This guy is the leading interpreter of my work. In, in <laughs> like, what has happened to my life? What is happening to the world? It's all just getting a bit silly now. Mm. Maybe you know. This is when the democratization of punditry, though. Yeah, I mean, we should be, we should be thankful for it, really. Well, he's he's got a natural flair for it, you know, and he's he's doing the numbers, and who are we to uh, 
Who are we to question his style? A really rough night on Saturday for Andy Lee in Manchester, actually. He just never really got settled into the world title defence against Billy Joe Saunders. Really tentative early on, but they both were tentative earlier on. Then the third round happened, um, knocked down twice by right hands. One particularly damaging one, the first one. I think the second one was maybe the kind of punch that only sends you down when you're already struggling uh, a little bit but because of his I think just because of his recent record of comebacks there was still a part of me thinking he could still do it he only needs yeah. that one big punch no matter punch. how low the, the the fight got from Andy's point of view you're still watching it thinking this is this isn't a fait accompli by any stretch of the imagination mm. if Andy can get himself together here to throw one punch he can end this um, but when you look back at the fight uh, you know, as a whole, knowing the result, it's you know it's very tough to watch for uh, yeah. anyone like us who have who who love Andy so much. You know, I, I, unfortunately, maybe Andy has come to a point where he believes himself that he can do that, that he can save himself with a knockout punch, and it can be dangerous thinking along those lines too much. I'm not saying he was going out hoping to get knocked down early on a couple of times, so that he could then come back with an heroic comeback. But maybe even subconsciously, there's a part of him that does believe that that is going to happen which uh, unfortunately wasn't the case technically just didn't fight a very good fight we're going to talk to Bernard Dunn about that fight and what should happen next for Andy but we'll start with the rugby Simon because Ulster are the saviours of the Irish provinces at the moment yeah not just because of the win not just because it was away from home but the style of it was brilliant I mean along with maybe Claremont and Wasps they're the entertainers of (laughs) European rugby at the moment and maybe the best thing of all is that most of the key guys besides May Ruin PNR we're all Irish. McCluskey's young blood coming through in the centre. Trimble's back to his best form, and you'd imagine he should start for Ireland again. Um, Marshall in the centre, maybe pushing for a place again. So the kind of signs are good, not just for Ulster, but for Ireland coming come from the north. Well, Jerry Thornley has popped into us. Jerry, how are you? Good, thank you. Uh, we might as well start with Ulster. Okay. We've been talking about enough defeats, and there are a couple <laughs> more to talk about. So let's talk about what was, uh, well, it was an historic win, only their third win ever in France. Was it made all the more impressive that this came as the second part of a double header? So Toulouse had had, we, we had the classic scenario where Toulouse had been hammered away from home and we're going to turn up this time, and yet Ulster turned them over. Yeah, big proud team with a great tradition in Europe, four time winners. Not unlike that time they beat. Uh, Leicester by 30-odd at home and then lost 40-odd a week later. It was a 70-point turnaround um, in the back-to-back matches when also played Leicester a few years ago in Martin Johnson's pump. And it is it makes it um, doubly difficult when you thrash a proud club like Toulouse. And Toulouse came out and they played and uh, unloaded a very powerful bench and threw everything at Ulster. And they utterly deserved their win. I mean, they might have had a couple more um, that were chalked off for four passes. One looked very questionable. And they played some cracking rugby, defended really well, lots of really good performances, stayed mentally strong, stuck to their game plan, didn't panic. Again, uh, Pienaar, a class act at nine, which in turn means Paddy Jackson can do his thing. Paddy Jackson's now the form number 10 in Ireland, no doubt about it. McCluskey's probably the form centre, and Luke Marshall isn't far behind either, so they're giving Joe Schmidt options as well. And more than anything, they're keeping Irish interest in this competition afloat. I thought it was an amazing win, because they've effectively been knocked to lose out, and they've given themselves a real shot at qualifying, albeit I think they'll have to do the double over Ionax and maybe get nine points out of that, and maybe even a point or so out of the Saracens game at least away, because looking at the tables across the board, and I think the Saracens got through with 17 points last season. Mm. I don't think that's going to happen this yeah. time. Looking through it, there's going to be it's going to be like look like more than 18, 19 point threshold across the board. I think you know it's going to be your day when Paddy Jackson is ripping the ball out of the hands of onrushing attackers, turning it over and setting up as he did to help set up the final try. You mentioned him being the the most improved or not the most improved player, but the form. Ten. 10 at the moment uh, and when things like that are happening it's it's probably going to work out for you yeah for a little small lad I've often said about him he's a really good defender he makes his tackles he's a very very good defending tackling number 10 unlike a lot of small slice number 10s over the years not least from Ulster David Humphrey would be the first to admit it um, and yeah he's, he's a good defender takes the ball to the line he's got a lot of skills I love even when Ulster were losing up in the RDS against Leinster. It was striking to me watching the two sets of backline and the way they played and the way they passed. How many inside shoulder passes Leinster threw compared to Ulster with Jackson taking the ball to line, putting the ball out in front of runners. Um, McCluskey's playing great stuff. Took a superb line for the Trimble draw. There's another one I didn't mention. Trimble has to be. You would have thought mm. nearly the form winner in Ireland now as well. So um, I think as well another factor in, in their. T- 
turnaround is it less Kiss is starting to have an inf- influence big time I think he's helped sort out their defence that's his domain and it's also allowed Neil Doak to go back to do what he does best which is a skills coach and their skill levels are very high and they had to win it was a, it was a really good brand of skill for rugby that they scored three tries away to Toulouse and could have more I like that they kept scoring tries right yeah. to the end as well they didn't try and hold on and just play a territory mm. game they kept it in the hands and they scored tries really late and even though Toulouse got the last try the game was over at that stage because mm. of because of the Marshall try. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And it wasn't like Toulouse didn't try. They were much better this week. That was a proud performance. They 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 rang the changes. They had some real power on the bench. They brought off. Um, and that's three wins. And I think in the last four years in French soil for Ulster, when they before they could never buy a win. So they've crossed a real threshold there, and they've given themselves a real chance of qualifying with a good brand of rugby. And you can see, it was a little dig from Rory Best at the detractors afterwards. Some people doubt us after the Saracens' defeat, he said. Um, but they've got a great togetherness and spirit. Ulster is buzzing compared to Leinster and Munster. And I think it's partly to do with having a good, experienced head coach like Lazakis in there. I think Kingspan sponsorship. I think they've got money. They'll be able to buy in good overseas players. And the crowd have really stayed with them. You well, know? that's the thing about the them. The crowd stayed. has stayed with them yeah. no matter what's happened over the last yeah. 10 years. So they've, they've built the crowds based on very little success, mm. whereas uh, Leinster and Mustard happened because of success. Yes, they had the five Heineken Cups in seven years and they were spoilt and it's very difficult for them to adapt. And we've, I'm sure you spoke about it last week, you know, the, the jeering, the, the ironic cheers when Ian Keighley was substituted and the effect that that must have had on him particularly, even going into yesterday's game. Um, and it's hard for a group of supporters to adjust when you've had the good time. You see with Man United, you know, you saw for Liverpool for many years, you know, when a club or a team is used to success, it's very hard for a fan set to adapt then when, you know, it's when it's tougher times. And right now, Leinster and Munster need their fans to stand by them more. But yeah, you're right. The Ulster fans, unique case maybe, but they stood by them. Can we go back to McCloskey for a second? Yeah. And he's looking like a real viable option. Yeah. And if you think Henshaw, we don't know how fit he's going to mm-hmm. be, but the two of them together, we suddenly got a completely different sort of centre partnership Complete. than we've ever had before. Yeah, and what you love about McCluskey is he's built for the modern game. He's a big unit. <laughs> and You know, when you're when Toulon are picking Ma Nanu and Matthew Bastro in midfield, that tells you where the way he's gone. Um, but he's also got a great skill set. He's got very good footwork. He took a wonderful line for that Andrew Trimble try. Um, so he's, he's providing a real potency to their midfield. It, it's by some distance the most potent midfield now in Irish rugby, that 10, 12, 13 axis. Um, and it's giving Jackson great target runners outside, which he's very, very adept at, at utilising. So it would be very interesting to see how Joe Schmidt is going to play this because so much of the form book since the World Cup has been shredded in lots of individual places. Who's the form loose head at the moment in the country? Unfortunately, it's sad to see it's certainly in Keane Healy. Jack McGrath's playing well. Jack James Cronin had a super match yesterday. And then you've got, you know, you need young blood coming through to regenerate every team every year. Josh van der Flyer has been worth his weight in gold for Leinster for that. But you've got a guy like Kyle McCall up there. He'd make 21 tackles for a loose edge yesterday. And you've got McCloskey as well. And it's great to see Luke Marshall come back because this is a player with a huge skill set for that number 12 role. He's got a good kicking game. He's got very good hands. He's, again, got good footwork, and he's a strong unit as well. So it'll be interesting to see. You know, you've got performers like CJ Stander and others, and it's just going to be interesting how Joe recognises the form, because certainly a lot of Ulster players are putting their hands up right now. Well, there's now. certainly an argument that McCluskey... Has to be in there. Yeah, has to be in there. And maybe yeah. if you bring him in at 12 and push Henshaw to 13, you've got a fairly yeah. fi- fi- physically strong uh, partnership there um, with, a, with a touch of class about it. And I think the other thing about that is it frees up some players who I think should be on the wing or considered for wing more so, which is Earls, uh, Luke Fitzgerald. Gerald. And, you know, that puts more pressure on Dave Kearney. It Basically, there's a knock-on effect. Jared Payne could be looked at at full-back again, yeah. which I think ultimately he's probably better at, even though he thinks maybe he's a 13. So there's the knock-on effect of McCluskey coming on that across the Irish back line, things look stronger. Yeah, that's true. Um, and although that being said, Simon, Luke Fitzgerald over the two games mm. has been very impressive in midfield. I thought yeah. his performance away in Toulon at 12 against that midfield was astonishing. He was easily Leinster's best carrier on the day. His yeah. footwork in the midfield. Oh, he's Leinster's traffic. best player at the moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If is. you take his form from when he was subbed on for Tommy Bow in the Argentina game, he's kind of untouchable. I, I'm not ruling him out of centre. I'm just saying that because of what's happening at Ulster and Connacht, you know, it, it opens up players for loads more options. Somebody was telling me that day of the Argentinian game that they were talking to his parents and his parents say, Luke, he just needs a try. He just needs something to click. He's the ultimate confidence player. All rugby players are confidence players. All sportsmen and women are to some degree. 
But Fitzgerald just see once he got that try in the Argentinian game, his season's just lifted off. It's it's curious because Tommy Bow went off injured in the first half, and Fitzgerald got his chance, and his form has just been. He, there's a player with no World Cup hangover. He's actually benefited one of the few that's come out of the World Cup it's feeling good about life. It's just on Les Kiss before we leave, yeah, because you mentioned him there. This is a guy who's very smart rugby person. Mm-hmm. Has been an assistant for quite a long, quite a long time now with Ireland. So maybe if you're too long in that role, that's what people think of you as. Mm. As a, well, at one stage he was attack coach and defence coach, but a certain as, as a certain type of coach, he's taken the the big job now at Ulster. Is that really is he in your encounters with him a fiercely ambitious guy who wants to be number one? Yeah, well, in my I've known Lads has been over here seven seasons now, and I've interviewed him a few times and gotten to know him. He is. Devoted to his profession. When he started out, he scarred the Australian sporting landscape, watched all other sports codes at work, was a sponge for knowledge. How did they do things? And I would imagine he's learned a huge amount, not only working with Joe, but all the other coaches he'd worked with in Ireland, even Declan Kidney, you know, the motivational skills Declan Kidney would have. He's a deep, deep thinker about the game. He works very hard and diligently at it. And he's a very smart man and... um, Players like him, you know. I've never heard a player say a bad word about him. He he engenders loyalty. Players like him. So I think it's it's also a fresh challenge for him. You know, he's been a long stint with Ireland as an assistant. He would have learned a lot. He, w- he would have had plans and designs. He wanted to do this. Um, and that's half of it. It wasn't like thrust upon him. This is something he went after because he wants to do it and he believes he can bring something to it. And we've got to give him time as well. We probably jumped... I know some people may have done after one game against Saracens. You've got to give him time. And like I said earlier, I think it's also freed up Neil Doak to do what he does best as well because he's a really good skills coach. And their skill set is very impressive. It's easily the best of any Irish team around at the moment. Yeah, Les Kiss is a bit unusual in Irish rugby management circles in that he's a sort of, I've bumped into him a few times, say, at um, in airports after games mm-hmm. or going to games. This is He goes to provincial games as well. And he'll, he'll chat away to you really openly about what he thinks of Irish players and he you know it's off the record but he he's so interested in it that he's happy to talk to reporters at any stage um he's an open guy mm. he's very relaxed as well he's got a really nice manner a lot of Aussies have this a lot of Aussie mm. coaches but just a really relaxed manner not paranoid about what you might well, say not yet. About him. that's not yet. because he's yeah. an assistant wait, wait, or well, has I, been an assistant I don't think so you know I think you know he's he's got a very strong mentality as well for that I think he knows that they'll come the brickbats will come sure. as well. um, but also as well he's really bought into Ireland now at this stage he almost regards himself as an Irish coach and I think he would go with his family up to Belfast and really buy into the Ulster culture and get to know the way of life up there he's um He's he's a sponge for life as well as for rugby. You know what I mean. He's a has a very holistic view of things. He's just a he's an interesting bloke. Okay, we'll see what goes with him. Um, Munster was the game you were mm. at at the weekend at Leicester. Mm. Um, your impressions? I thought Munster played really well right. in lots of respects. I love the way they went about the game. To come back from a, a very very demoralising, disappointing defeat at home to Leicester, in large part self inflicted. And go out with that game plan and keep the ball in hand and for backs and forwards to interlink and for the back three to counter-attack and for them to use the width of the pitch and play with depth and variety and play with offloading, 15 offloads. Um, don't often see Irish teams doing this. And there was a, and yet it's very frustrating because they came up short again. I, you sit down, you've got a blank screen in front of you and you try and put an intro on a 17-6 defeat and the first thing you think is, this wasn't a 17-6 match. Um, and they left tries behind, you know, of... Conor Murray did the right thing. There was somebody blocking the pass flight to James Cronin that tried then. Obviously, the Ian Keekley kick at 10-6 to make it a 10-9 match. There were so many momentum shifts again, just like the first mm. match. And they will somehow, and they did, reflect really ruefully on another one that got away. Um, I think it's unfortunate that, you know, JJ Hanron's gone because he could have come on with half an hour to go last week and maybe been an option to start yesterday. We're not getting through one of these Munster games without you mentioning JJ Hanron, <laughs> Jerry. Still, I just think he would have really suited this know, game plan know, as enough, well, yeah. you know, yeah. really suited. And so often in the second half, Zebo was stepping in his first receiver and putting width in the ball. And I just think... They need a bit more spark than they have. Yeah, I just feel really yeah. sorry for Keekley at the moment because I just don't think that could have been a pleasant experience for him for what happened in Thomond Park. And then you, you address that kick at 10-6 and... Your thought process cannot be, this is just another kick. Mm. I need to get this kick. I need to get this kick. He's got to be thinking that. And then he misses and you just feel sorry for the lad. You know, it's that kick goes over 10-9. It could have been a different match, a bit like the week before. I think they're playing a lot of good rugby. Um, I'm hearing that the coaching staff are very highly regarded by the players. They enjoy what they're trying to do. 
as frustrating though as it is but I think there's actually a little bit more positive energy about what they're trying to do at the moment even than Leinster I'd love to see the stats on how many of their errors are close to the opposition yeah, 22 yeah. because they're they, they do the same thing up to that point, but then their exe- execution disappears, which happens a lot of but teams. Is, is that skill level? The, is that I skill don't think so. I think, it's, I think it's a sort of, they're putting a mental pressure on themselves. You know, they're just t- uh, tightening up a little bit. Whether it's even as simple as, like, muscle tension, the way you pass the ball, your forearm's tightening up, um, pushing the pass that's not on, pushing an offload when it's not on, all those little things, and that's like a 10, 20 point swing in a game if you get those things right or yeah. wrong. Yeah, there was a, there was an example, as you said, that I'm thinking of Saeeli, that force pass that went over the touchline near the end. Without that pressure, maybe he's a little bit more relaxed. Like the time he was being chased down as well, maybe he would have taken the tackle, gone to ground, they might have recycled. He forced the pass inside to Zebo, and he was never going to score from that position. And yeah, and the harder you try and the more you, you, you make those mistakes in the, in the red zone, the more you're likely to mess up. It becomes a, a catch-22. I, I do, I'm not sure with one bound they would be free, but I don't think they're a million miles away and I think it is going to click for them. What about for Leinster? Six, the, the defeat to Toulon. Um, it was interesting, Leo Cullen afterwards, just a couple of his quotes here. Toulon are playing by slightly different rules. We need to take a good look at how we take on a team like that. He's asked to expand on that and he says, well, they're allowed to sign 16 foreigners. The rules that we have are about bringing young guys through, creating a pathway for a young player that wants to play for Leinster to play for Ireland. It's different. They sign experienced overseas players who have incredible experience and a lot of test match experience. Cullen's not saying anything there that we don't mm-hmm. already know. Yeah. Um, the fact that he's reaching for that, is that telling at all? Yeah, I suppose it shows how frustrated he is that he feels... I mean, this is a very trying circumstance for your, your first season as a head coach. Still two no years win, out, yeah. And you're, you're just talking about being thrown in at the deep end. And that was the case in this pool, uh, aptly named the Pool of Sharks, because although this was a consequence of their, their bad showing in the league last year as well, it's, I do think they were better again. Um, they deserve their 16-5 lead. They played a lot of positive rugby. Um, they really took the game to Toulon. All three Irish sides took the games to their opponents this week. You know, you've got to say they were well prepared. They knew what they were doing. And it's just very hard to defend against when Toulon know 16-5 down. If we don't win the second half, we're out of the European Cup and the three-time winners. They unload their powerful bench. And if you use a scrum and a maul and straight runners, the effect they do, just by sheer weight of physicality and numbers, you're going to run out of numbers. It's, just, it's almost impossible to defend against. And then you have a referee like Wayne Barnes and you're thinking, oh, geez, if I was one of those 45,000 spectators watching that second half unfold, I don't think I'd be rushing back to watch a European Cup game in time I found, soon. I found it sort of depressing for yes. Leinster and depressing for the game. Yeah, it was The boring, rolling yeah. ball thing, it's just, if you have it and it's a dominant thing... You have to use it. But you have to keep using it and you can keep you can keep going to it. It's so low risk. Now, yeah. we've used it with, with, with Joe Smith for Ireland. Absolutely. And, 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 <laughs> and then yeah. stopped using it against Argentina. Go figure anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if it is scoring your tries the team do it like you know if you've got a better handling say or you're more skillful than the opposition it's something you can do a bit but there's something the opposition can do to defend that they can disrupt it they can blitz or whatever it might be but when it's a rolling ball there's kind of nothing you can do you're lighter and weaker and they just keep doing and scoring tries and the game was terrible to watch for the second half Leinster weren't even getting out of their own 22 never mind half they had no possession in the second half there was no hope even even when the game was close there was no sense of hope no none whatsoever It it was almost Back to the awful 90s, the plucky Irish, you know, taking a 16-5 lead, hanging in there and eventually being worn out, literally, in the last 20 minutes. And this goes back to Leo's comments. You look at the two benches and just isn't the same impact of of the Leinster bench as there is of the Toulon bench or anything close to it. That's four games in a row for Leinster where they haven't scored a single point in the second half, which is a staggering stat. And the lack of tries is... Yeah, two tries and five hours and 20 minutes of rugby. One, down to the injection of the kids off the bench in Bath, Van de Flyer, Tracy, McGrath. They, they manufactured that try in effect and a rolling mall in five hours and 20 minutes of rugby. And I don't know what the pointless four second halves in a row tell us, but it would seem to question certainly the impact off the bench, maybe even their fitness levels, maybe even their execution when they're fatigued. You know, a lot of time when they're just being a bit run down and stuff. But it's um, it's certainly a worrying trend for them. Um, and they had no answer to the Toulon. I don't know how Toulon and Toulouse are level at one point behind Claremont in the top 14. I venture to say there'll be about 25 points. I think Toulon have won so much now that in the early part of the season, they're kind of half motivated. Look, we'll, we'll get to it in January, February. It'll be fine. They, they were miles off their best in both those games. That's what's maybe more worrying for Leinster. You can yeah. say, oh, it's Toulon, three-time yeah. winners, but it's not the real Toulon they were yeah, facing. Yeah, and this was the Leinster side that really turned up and gave it a good go, and were backed by the majority of a 40,000-plus crowd, and were 16-5 up, and they still 
couldn't close they it couldn't out. play a whole lot better than that, no. I don't think. No, not a whole lot There wasn't lot much they could do in the second half. No, and you know, if you don't have Sean O'Brien, you don't have that ballast, you do that real hard carrying that nasty edge. Keen Healy, we wait for him to rediscover his best form, but that's two of your most potent weapons not there in effect. Um, and they just need all their guns firing at the, at, to have a hope in hell against a team like Jalan. I think what it does show is, like I've said it before, you know, Zane Kirshner on a two-year deal, Issa Naseba effectively on a two-year deal. They didn't need both. You have to question the recruitment policy. They need something like they did with Nathan Hines and Brad Thorne in that tight five. It was just, yeah, there were so many frustrating moments. Uh, Sean Cronin makes this amazing tackle and Drew Mitchell out in the corner. The speed of Sean Cronin is a joke. He yeah. was faster than Drew Mitchell. so fast. Okay, Drew Mitchell had to catch the ball quite high, but yeah. even at that, there should have still been enough room for him to get over. One of the best finishers around. I'm nothing against Rickard Strauss. I just don't understand yeah. how Rickard Strauss has got ahead of Sean well, Cronin, well, both on the bench for yeah. Ireland. Yeah, I, think, for I think you've seen how by the next play, which was an overthrow by Sean the one thing now, maybe you can't what, do. Yeah, yeah. So underthrow it, throw it low. Yeah. Don't overthrow, <laughs> overthrow it. Yeah. it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, just the last word, and I suppose, is that this all sets up Leinster Munster in the uh, Pro 12 quite nicely for the 27 because the two those two problems in particular now maybe have to start thinking more about how they approach Pro 12 matches and supporters even more so actually about how much importance they should be attaching to this competition this is probably the most interesting question of the day alright what happens next in that mm. sense and a couple of things on this number one I don't think Munster are quite out of it if they do the double over Stadford and say they're still in it Leinster's European season is to all intents and purposes over the two Christmas derbies are inestimably bigger than their last two matches in Europe. It doesn't even count towards their seeding for next season. They are now complete dead rubbers. They would be as well off giving Johnny Sexton a fortnight off then. Right. And maybe one or two others. Jamie Heaslip. I've never seen him substitute in my life, I don't think, before. And looking bunched would tell you the toll that was being exerted by Toulon physically. The, the, the derbies are much more important, particularly the 27th and the Connacht game of the new year. Mm. Leinster, to salvage their season, need to get to the playoffs and maybe win the Pro 12. So these are the two bigger games. I hope that the Irish welfare, player welfare programme does not denude this fixture of a load of top players like it did a year ago because it really diluted what should be one of the standout Irish fixtures of the season. Close to Full House and Thoman Park. So many expats home for Christmas. One to go to a quality rugby match, see the best of Leinster and Munster go at each other. It's a really big game for both of them. I just think Leinster's situation is slightly different. They need to target these two games almost even more. They certainly can afford to do whatever they want with the last two games in Europe now because your seeding for Europe is entirely based on your Pro 12 performances. So therefore, they're, those last two games are just almost an irrelevancy. Right? Jerry, brilliant stuff and happy Christmas. Cheers, and you. It's a rather realistic but also an appalling vista opened up by Jerry there as regards the next two games in Europe for Leinster in particular. They've lost all their matches. They may as well just rest their players for the Pro 12. Take, take your 60-point beating off Wasps. <laughs> well, it's a little bit, isn't it? It sounds like what, what used to happen to the French clubs and still does sometimes. But you'd always think, well, if they get to the last couple of games and they're out of contention, they'll rest all their best players and will hammer them. Now, 
unfortunately the reverse sounds like it could be the case that we go over well, to the mm. English teams. So we end up screwing over some of the English and French teams that uh, created a competition under the, very much to suit themselves. God, well, well it, it undermined the credibility of their own compet- of their competition. I don't think they'd be too worried about being their credib- credibility being undermined. I think they'd be happy enough to put forty or fifty points on of us. Uh, uh, well, yeah, but I mean, was the case. It, it's going to screw someone over. Yeah, if uh, if uh, if Leinster decide to just throw the last two games. Is it realistic? Should they? Do I'm that? not sure the Irish provinces are actually just mentally capable of throwing in the towel like that. Yeah. French have had loads of practice over the years. Well, it is true. Irish have never yeah, really done it. We always know how obsessed France were with their league. Leinster have never come from that place or the other Irish provinces. Always Europe has been a clear number one. Bar when in the early stages when you have to try to win a league to establish credibility. It's always been the tournament. Yeah, I think you're right. They definitely won't be throwing effectively throwing games um, or accepting defeat, but yeah. they may well rest some key players if players need to rest well, somewhere. Well, the, the argument happen. at the moment is with Leinster, if you look at the form of uh, Heaslip or Rob Kearney, Ethan Othewa, even their star players aren't their best players at the moment. It's, mm-hmm. it's Van der Fleer and other guys, some of the younger guys coming through. So apart from the fact that given the good guys or the established guys a rest would work for the established guys maybe the younger guys are the better players anyway the Irish Times second captain's football podcast is out now that's yeah <laughs> they have asked for that really well you can laugh I'm to walk up I'm a little bit of an idealist but having said that I want to be like me what are you doing down here, you Johnny man? <laughs> well, actually, quite a lot happened over the weekend, Owen. Um, you know, Louis van Gaal, as we mentioned, is in trouble. Uh, Jose Mourinho, <laughs> amazingly, is in line to get his job. Uh, and Pep Guardiola has uh, confirmed that he's leaving uh, Bayern. In fact, he did it a couple of weeks ago to Bayern, but they managed to uh, keep it a secret until this weekend when they confirmed that he will be leaving, though he hasn't said where he's going. So we'll be talking about all the... Oh, in fact, we have talked about all those things. One thing we haven't talked about was a hell of a weekend for Michael O'Neill, <laughs> Manager of the Year at mm. the RT Sports Person of the Year, followed up much to the light of the crowd in Belfast as Manager of the Year at the BBC Sports Personality of the Year. Yeah, and it's kind of uh, when the Sports Personality of the Year... Uh, the BBC version is mm-hmm. held in Belfast, then you, ca- you might be inclined to think, well, you know, is this a bit of playing to the gallery? And then you actually think about it a bit more. It's really not at all. It's 100% a deserved award. And when you actually think about the Phillips Manager of the Year Award, was actually shared by Martin O'Neill and Michael O'Neill, which in itself, actually, when you think about it, I mean, if, if Michael O'Neill is in the competition, is in the running for this award, then he wins it over Martin O'Neill any day of the week because they topped the group they topped the group and, qu- and like we we squeaked in like and you know we, there were a couple of very good performances at the end but I mean as a job over the entire year I don't think there's any doubt that Michael O'Neill did a much better job than, than Martin O'Neill okay. I would have given it to Martin O'Neill personally really? but, mm. despite only coming third in the group beat the world champions out <laughs> that makes us world champions that's what uh, Johnny Walters said on uh, the RT show on Saturday night. Well, it wouldn't because just for the night. But. It, it, it might have been their first defeat since they won the World Cup, but they've lost quite a few matches. <laughs> they've totally got off the boil since winning the World Cup. Listen, are you are you saying that Johnny Walters hasn't thought this one through entirely? Yeah, I think he, uh, I think he hasn't taken into account the fact that they already lost the unofficial World Championship or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, um, Dundalk were the team of the year. Much of the chagrin of many. So commentators on social media, as they're referred to in newspapers. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people, people were like, yeah, a lot of people were, um, a lot of commentators. Said, what? The, essentially, League of Ireland. What the right. f is this nonsense? When we've got the team that qualified for the Euros in there, and they don't get team of the year. And then one of the, I think it was Gannon, one of the Dundalk players, kind of sent an fu photo. But it wasn't really. He just sent a photo of himself with the award, saying, "Ah, team of the year." Yeah. Screw you guys. Didn't see, Stephen Kenny said they'd score more goals than any team in the history of. I'm not sure if he said Dundalk or, you know, Irish football. Right. I think Dundalk. Um, that is a pretty exceptional achievement. Yeah. So, uh, fair play to them too. T- uh, I was watched, <laughs> for my sins, I watched all of the BBC Sports Personality of the Year Award. Two hours, uh, it weighed in at around two hours and 20 minutes with no ads. It was supposed to be two hours and ten. Uh, then they 
overran a little bit and you got the sense that they were really mm. trying to hurry it up towards the end because the final of The Apprentice was on afterwards and there was a strange crossover there for 10 minutes where The Apprentice fans were telling Andy Murray to hurry along and just do his acceptance mm. speech so they could get going. Obviously, I was mainly watching to see what the reaction to Tyson Fury was going to be and there were, there were protesters outside apparently. He was booed when his name was mentioned at the start. Not by everybody, but there were people in there booing and it's largely sports people there. There's thousands. There's yeah. a lot of largely Ulster-based sports people. Uh, you're seeing a lot of them be, uh, knocking around the place. Then he walks onto stage, and by, that's, by that point, everyone had uh, mellowed a little bit, cheered him politely onto stage. Nothing too mm. raucous or anything, but there was general a bit of respect. And then there followed an awkward interview with Gary Lineker. Did you see this? No. Yeah. 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 So Lineker, this is flagged in advance that he is going to ask him about the issues. David Walsh had done a... Hmm, a very pro-Fury profile piece in the Sunday Times at the weekend. And uh, Fury said there, well I, well, I hope he does ask me because I'll t- t- tell him that I've met lots of great women and, lots of, and I, I don't have any hate and all these kind of things. What he was actually asked was, Lineker very awkwardly said, so, you know, you won the world title and um, there's obviously been a massive fallout since then. Uh, what are your reflections? And Fury says, my reflections? Uh, and he said, yeah, your reflections. Uh, sorry, I didn't catch that. So it was this awkward interaction. He said, your, your reflections on the fallout since you won the world title. And Fury says, well, yeah, I'm just, I, I see what you mean. You know, I'm not a serious, I'm just a jokey guy. I'm not a serious man. I don't mean offense to anybody. Yeah. But it was a very open-ended, strange question that was really just tokenistic. They yeah. knew they had to ask something. And Gary Lineker asked him that and he swatted it aside. Yeah. And the crowd just stood there. Um, so well, they got, politely clapped after yeah, uh, Tyson yeah. Fury. If if I've, and it wasn't even an apology. It was if anyone has been offended by anything that I've said, well then I apologize. Uh, and like that, he the words were barely out of his mouth before there was a polite applause, and then everyone breathe. I think breathe the sigh of relief. That was it. Yeah. yeah, you've gone for a kind of Tyson Fury look yourself there, on actually. I have kind of shaved head and and uh, full beard. Mm, well, I haven't got much choice but to shave the head, Ken. There aren't many options for a man of my. Uh, rapidly dwindling hair. <laughs> have you have you taken um, inspiration from the world heavyweight champion? Um, no, no, I would say no. I would say uh, before you know, I've, I've taken inspiration by my from my lack of options. <laughs> gone with that. <laughs> got to use wherever the hair does grow, Ken. You yeah, got you got to use that. It's about balance. Yeah. Yeah. You're odd, odd balance. You're you've actually got magnificent hair. Yeah, a friend really, of mine, a friend you know, of mine did. Like uh, yeah. the whole, if you take the whole scene there. A friend of mine did say that I'm, I look the exact opposite uh, of what I did when I was 18 if you just switched it around there. Mm. Good, there was a good head of hair on top and not so much going on. I think, on Ken's, I think Ken's trying to suggest... Why are we talking Yeah, I know. I, I don't know why Ken brought that up. But I, mean, I think maybe he's saying that there's some sort of pre-Christmas, you know, sort of tidy up of the beard. But I say, on no way. You it. just you just keep keep rocking and rolling there, my man. Andy Lee was beaten on points in Manchester on Saturday night by Billy Joe Saunders, unfortunately, so he loses his world middleweight title. Bernard Dunn was watching this one, and he, Bernard Andy spoke briefly to the media afterwards. He uh, was obviously despondent, hasn't been doing interviews since then. How long does it actually take to get over something like this? So it's, it's, a, it's a tough thing to do to, to lose something that you've you've worked so hard all your life to to get, and then uh, it's taken away so quickly. Uh, but that's 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 boxing. It's you know, fifty fifty fights. You're going to begin to good opponent, and it's whoever performs best on the day um, gets to take the belt home. I, I was uh, looking up some of your tweets during the fight, and you actually felt that Andy might have done enough to win it. I definitely didn't think Saunders did enough to win it. Despite the two um, knockdowns, uh, despite the two knockdowns, come here. What, he, he'd one good round, like you know, one good round doesn't win you the fight. And just because you knock somebody down, like it doesn't, it doesn't affect the rest of the fight. And that's what people tend to get caught up on. Oh, well, at least he knocked, he knocked Andy down twice. Big deal. It's a ten-seven round. You move on. I felt, I felt Saunders won the first. I felt Saunders won the third, obviously. Um, and I struggled to give him many rounds after. I think I gave him the fifth. Um, but after that, you know, the rounds are just that close. Um, and obviously, obviously, the judges on the close rounds went with Saunders. My feeling on that is, you know, that it's when when rounds are that close, the champion has to get given the round because the challenger has to come and take the belt from you and has to come and win rounds. Has to be convincing. It's his. It's 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 his job to make sure he gets the decision. Uh, and I, I just didn't think Saunders did enough. 
Did Andy do enough himself, though? I understand your point about uh, him being the champion, but even at that, surely you've, you've got... To, it just struck me that he was a little tentative, e- even in the first two rounds, and then after the yeah, two... not Non-existent. Yeah. You know, I, I, he wasn't even parting with the jab. He was pushing her up some in, in some funny way, and yeah. it, was, it was like... Andy, for me, is one of the best technical fighters that we've produced out of this country. And we just saw none of that on Saturday night. None of it. Um, and I'm not sure where, what the message was coming from his corner, but... He should have been using his long reach, should have been banging that jab right into the middle of, of um, Saunders' face, blinding him with the shot, and following up with left hands, wide uppercuts, wide hooks, jabbing and hooking. And we just never saw it once, never saw it once. And it, at certain stages, it looked like he was just waiting for a big punch. Maybe the fact that he's knocked out his last few opponents was on his mind and he was looking for that. Yeah, and he does, even when, when we speak to him regularly in the show, that's definitely... In, his mind. in fact, he even says, I'm never going to lose a fight, fight on points. This is what he has said up until now. I'll always go out swinging and I'll, I'll take a guy out or he'll have to take me out. Maybe he believed too much in his own power going into this fight. He possibly left it too late to try and take Saunders out. Yeah. Uh, the, message, the message should have been coming from the corner to step her up from, maybe from round six, seven on, that you really need to push this on. That rounds are very close and they can go either way. And you're under pressure here. Uh, and come here, you couldn't argue with the fight. In my opinion, you couldn't have argued with a draw um, or the fight even going either way. Um, so I have no problem with Saunders getting the decision. Hmm. Um, but if I was scoring it, um, and I tried to do it unbiasedly, to be honest. Um, if I was scoring it, I would have, I would have given the belt to Andy and Andy would have kept the belt. Uh, that said, do you think that maybe he was... Surprised by Saunders? Did it look to you as though he was surprised by Saunders' power? The fact that he was knocked down in those two rounds. I know you say that it shouldn't make a difference in scoring for the rest now, of the fight. It, it surprised everybody. Yeah. I, I didn't have Saunders down as that big puncher, um, and he, and he caught Andy clean two or three times, and two of them he dropped him, and and the other one he he he, he, he hurt him. <sighs> yeah, you know, it's the step up and way. Is is it a you know? It's just is it a long career and punches are starting to take effect. You know, sometimes when you just get caught clean and the force by hook, Andy was trying to trade hooks and he got caught with it. Yep. Um, knocked him to Andy's arse and after that, you know, the next one just followed very quickly. It was all very respectful between the two of them, which is fair enough, but was, was it a little bit over-respectful at oh, times? I, mean, I, was, I was like, what are you doing touching hands? Now, and I understand you've got respect for each other, but Andy should have been trying to make that guy as uncomfortable as possible and not touching bloody gloves with him after he drowned and smiling at him. Stuff that. I mean, you shake hands and hug each other after the fight and be best of mates. But, you know, from round one until the final round, until the final bell in round 12, you know, we're against each other here, Pat. We're not touching gloves and we're not mates. Yeah, it's funny because when we were watching it, we, uh, after we were talking about that and remembering back to your career, I don't think it was something you would have indulged in too much once you're actually in the ring. You know, you can be as respectful as you want to be before and after, but between rounds, should just be finished around and stroll back to your corner. Come here, I never disrespect an opponent in my no. life it, it, with trash talk or with anything like that. Um, but when we were in the ring, you know, I certainly wasn't touching gloves with you and I certainly wasn't being friends. We were there to do a job and I was there to, I was there to beat you. Was it an indication? I was there to make you feel comfortable. Yeah, so was it an indication maybe that just mentally he was a little bit off for whatever reason? Uh, yeah, definitely looked like that. Right, okay. I, I, honestly, I was actually shouting at him. So the, Pamela and the kids were watching the TV and I, and I, I was watching in my bedroom yeah. and I was shouting at the TV and the kids were coming and telling me to shut up. Like, and I was just like, I, I, I just couldn't get over the whole approach of the fight. Just, I, 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 I wasn't Andy for me. I think uh, if, you, if you could get a redo, you know, we, we could have a completely different scenario. And he wants a redo. Is that? Do you think he should go again? Would he, would he take Saunders a second time, do you think? I, I honestly never saw Saunders beating Andy. I didn't see it coming. I didn't think he had the power. I didn't think he had the boxing ability. Andy Lee, for me, is one of the best technical guys to come out, the most technical guys to come out of this country in a long, long time. Um, his boxing ability, I felt, was second to none. But we saw none of it on Saturday night. We didn't see him using his jab. We didn't see him walking off the jab and hooking. Um, we didn't see anything from Andy Lee, certainly. Nothing. And yet, I still thought he did enough to uh, maybe keep his belt. What's his decision-making process now? I'm talking about a rematch there, as Andy has been, but there's always an argument for a fighter to stop. He's been become his world champion. He's achieved the dream. Okay, it didn't work out the other night. You, you're, you're sorry. Like, you know, for, for, for like, so my process was I just stopped enjoying myself and 
everything that was that, everything that that went along with the box and just wasn't fun for me anymore. And you know, you, there's a lot of things that go on. And as long as you're having fun, as long as you're enjoying it, yeah, I keep going. But right. like, it's only Andy can answer that question. And if he's enjoying himself and and still feels he can do it, keep going. For me, I for for me personally, when I made my decision to stop being fun, I I didn't really crave wanting to do it anymore. And like it was never about money for me, and I was offered a big contract, and I'm sure Andy would be offered contracts. It was never about money for me, but there was a lot of stuff that went with it. It was just, it's painful to deal with. <laughs> yeah, and I can only imagine. In fairness, the business side of things, Andy has talked about this in the past as well. It's, it's not a part of it. He uh, enjoys necessarily. I was just watching the post-fight interview with Saunders, and Frank Warren is there, very triumphant after his fighter had won. It ended up getting getting brought back over to England is it more likely that that could be the side of things that could that could affect Lee's yeah, thinking? I was, I was surprised with the two, uh, three English judges as three well. Three English judges I, is a bit I, strange, yeah. Yeah, I, I really did. I felt that was um, odd. But that's Mr. Warren doing the best he can for his um, fire, which is Saunders. <laughs> yeah, true enough. But uh, yeah, so in your own case, it was more about things outside of the ring. That's what ultimately... Um, I, I just I just fell out of love. With, yeah. Well, I was starting to fall out of love with it and I didn't want that to happen because boxing was something that I'd enjoyed it for 25 years and it was something that, you know, gave me so much life. And I didn't want to end up hating the sport. And I'm starting, I, I knew it was starting to feel like a chore for me to go to the gym. It was starting to feel like a chore for me to do certain things. And I said, you know, I, I can do other things in my life now. Um, and, but that's, the, in Andy Lee's case, only he can answer those questions. Like, you know, and you're going to get people saying, I oh, should pack it in and, oh, he's going to get, uh, come here. No one could tell Andy Lee to pack it in. Only Andy Lee. Um, he can ask the people around him, the people who he trusts and the people who values their opinion. Um, but ultimately, it comes down to Andy and, and his want, and whether he wants to box again or whether he doesn't. Can he pick any consolation out of that fight? Does it ever work that way for fighter? The fact that he managed to make it through, get back up on his feet after the knockdowns, would that be of anything, any use to him today? Just, there's no doubt Andy Lee's got balls, and he's, he's as brave, you know, as a lion. Like, he's... he's he, he, the, the one thing I suppose he can take from it is that he did literally nothing on Saturday night and, and people, still were almost, yeah. a, people were still saying it was a very close fight so imagine if Anthony actually does before yeah so that's the one positive I would take from it yeah no that seems like uh, yeah, it's, 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 probably isn't much of a positive for him at the moment but yeah we'll see what yeah, happens that's over. boxing though yeah. you know boxing is one of those sports where off nights aren't allowed um you know, you can't tag in, you can't ask for substitutes, you can't ask for timeouts, you can't, you know, you, 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 it's up to you and you alone, ultimately, when you're inside that ring. Um, and and some, sometimes, you know, shit happens and it's just not your day. Yep. Listen, Bernard, absolutely great to catch up with you. Thanks a million for talking. Pleasure. No problem. So he's almost like having a second captain, isn't he? Second captain, first captain, whatever. Richie Sadler is here, Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city knew about him, but no one had seen him. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Yeah, it's a fair point from, from Bernard there that um, this is Andy's decision alone, and that the, nobody else really has a say in it, uh, which is which is true. When you watch a guy and you feel like you know him, you in a sport like that, we've said it a million times. We would have been saying about Bernard as well, to be honest, at the time that ideally you'd like them to retire and move on as soon as they can because it is such a dangerous sport. But of course, it is Andy's decision. Um, I actually thought that he was clearly beaten on points. Bernard thought it was close and close enough that the champion should get it. But I actually just didn't think Andy really, really did what he normally does. Uh, didn't get into it in, in any sort of meaningful way. Um, to be honest with you, but anyway, Bernard wasn't was particularly unimpressed with all the touching of gloves and smiling between rounds mm. that uh, Andy and both of them were doing that. But I so you could argue, well, it didn't seem to affect Billy Joe Saunders too much. But certainly watching it, it was was it was very striking how overtly friendly they were being with each other in between the in between the rounds. Yeah, I think you know 
it's the sort of thing that 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 might annoy you if you thought right the fight's going away from you here, Andy. You know, we 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 need we, we like we need to, we need to see something that shows that you're that you're going to try and, and win this fight. Mm. I mean, I th- it's I think it's it's a little bit of a whatever uh, Alfred Hitchcock called it, a MacGuffin. Was that it, Ken? What? Just a, a you know, it's, it's something a thing, that... A kind of a little, uh, almost relevant thing to just keeps the plot going. Yeah. And it drives the plot, even though it's not in itself important. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that... Possibly, the, possibly. Bernard seems to think that it was a, a marker that he wasn't uh, as tuned into the fight or wasn't on the same mental level as he had, has been before. You're Googling there, just checking that it is actually... Yeah, I, I, I'm in the... You're in the process correct. of Googling. No, I'm in, I'm in the correct ball. What's part. it called? It's a MacGuffin, yeah. Oh, it is a MacGuffin? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Before we wrap things up, Ken. Yeah? We haven't talked about Lance Armstrong's interview with Joe Rogan yet. What about you that? On, you were away last week when I was planning to chat to you about it. Yeah, I actually watched the whole thing. Oh, you watched that. it? Oh, I just I listened to it. I watched it on YouTube, yeah. Mm. Um, and I was so bored by the first half of that. I was about to turn <laughs> it off. But it started to get better then. Yeah. The most, it, it kind of, maybe the moment that it sort of turned for me a little bit was when Armstrong, who I thought was looking a bit, a bit rough. But he got, was hung over. He said himself he was hung over. Yeah, he him. got up to go to, he, he, he goes, you know, what happens uh, when someone needs to take a leak? And Rogan's like, well, just go and do it. You know, I'll just, I'll talk while you're doing that. So he gets up and he's heading out the door and Rogan's like, well, you know, Lance was telling me about his routine. You know, he gets up at whatever time it was, does a bit of, goes for a run, waits till about five to start drinking. And continues from there. And I was thinking, did he just say that? Yeah. He seriously did just say that, right? And I thought, is this what Lance is doing these days? There's nothing. He says he doesn't really cycle anymore. Um, he, uh, he, he, he mainly runs because cycling is just too much of a palaver. It takes too much time. You can, get, you can get done in an hour of running what it takes you three hours to do on the bike. But, you know, I mean, it was very boring, the whole first part of it, when they were talking about bike riding and... and drugs and so on because Lance just isn't isn't honest like you know he's he's still not honest uh, uh, no and also Joe Rogan um, was, knows nothing no d- didn't know anything about the subject and was shall we say generous in his questioning of Lance to the point oh, that Lance yeah. actually at times had to say well no I feel I feel kind of bad you're trying to send me yeah. with such a softball question people are going to be angry when they see this <laughs> yeah you said that a few times yeah um, but yeah so, so once he started talking about Rogan thought Greg LeMond was a diver. Armstrong had to explain it was Greg Luganis. He's like, seriously, dude. <laughs> and uh, r- was using words like cycler. One of my friends is a cycler, and Lance is like a cyclist. So I, d- I don't think he's a massive uh, cycling fan. I'll tell you one thing he does like talking about, Ken. Lance. Lance. Yeah. Drugs. He loves that. Loves talking about drugs. Yeah. Joe Rogan was explaining about the drug issues Mostly historical, Joe Rogan says, in U- recent, recently historical in the UFC. And you could, I don't know how his facial features were, but I sensed listening to the podcast that he was lighting up over this. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this is amazing. And then they start talking about Hunter S. Thompson later oh, yeah. on. Lance loves Hunter S. Thompson. They're from the same neck of the woods. Yeah, so he, he even rang up the sheriff. Yeah. Uh, Lance rang up the sheriff to ask him if the, uh, the daily schedule of Hunter Thompson, which kind of was a brief viral sensation a little while ago. Yeah, so wake up 3 p.m. It was in Esquire or something like this. Yeah. Wake up 3 p.m. Cocaine, 3.15. Yeah. Shivas Regal, 3.20. More Shivas Regal, 3.35. Coffee, 3.40. Cocaine, 3.45. This is going on for about nine hours until 12, midnight. Start writing. Yeah. And then continue with all the madness until about eight when he puts his head back on the pillow. Lance couldn't believe that it could have been quite that extreme. He's like, this can't be true, can it? But like, he was really excited, you know, like a kid, <laughs> yeah. like a kid who's, who's found like, you know, snowy footprints on the fireplace. <laughs> you know, he's like, really? Uh, and rings up the sheriff and he's like, oh, that can't be real, can it? He couldn't have been taken that much, could he? And the sheriff said, Lance... It was not enough. Right, he said that they actually understated him. So, you know, I don't think it was real, to be honest. I think Hunter would have lasted quite as long as he did if that had been his daily routine. Mm. Which, um, but yeah, Lance, he loves that subject. I, I hope he does a book. I really hope he does a book on, on drugs because it would be a shame with his depth of knowledge and his unique passion for all that to be lost to the world. Well, he has to talk. Go on, sorry. He should share it. He should share it. He should do a book on uh, drugs history. He mentioned the ancient Olympics. He loves talking about them. He's like, well, the ancient, you know, 10 minutes into the interview, he's talking about the ancient Olympics and how they were using drugs at them. You know, <laughs> I, want, I want a chapter specifically on that. He's got one court case, one outstanding legal issue he has to settle. It is with the feds in yeah. the US for the, they're just looking for 100 million of them. So he has to fight that one. 
he wasn't very convincing in how he, he said, well, you know, we like our case, which is the exact same phrase he used to use when he was denying drugs. We like our argument. We like our, it was always the, these kind of phrases. But he, uh, at one stage he said, yeah, well, to be honest, I can't afford to pay them $100 million, so I have to contest this. <laughs> so I'm not sure how convinced he is that he's definitely going to win that last outstanding civil, I think it's a civil, some sort of civil action. Yeah, I think there's right. a reasonable chance poor old Lance is going to end up being bankrupt. But he's still, you know, at least he's always going to, there's one person who will always take pity on Lance, and that is Lance. Uh, he, no, no one will ever be able to take away his indomitable love for himself. <laughs> And it's 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 still he's still going to have that to lean on forever. That's it for this show. We have got the football podcast, a packed football podcast with all the stories going on um, out now. So have a listen to that whenever you get a few minutes or an hour and a bit. It seemed to go on for a long time, but there was a lot to talk about. Uh, thanks very much, Ken. Thank you too. Huh? Thanks very much, Kieran. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you before Christmas. Take care. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.